Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. And welcome to the Victorious Souls podcast with me, your host, Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can love yourself from Survive to Thrive. Today, I have David Pasqualone with me. Did I say that right? Yeah, perfect. David Pasqualone. David Pasqualone with me today, and he is the host of Remarkable People podcast, and I think he's pretty remarkable himself. But he's also a sales and marketing consultant and author and the owner of Ascend to Glory and the survivor of multiple childhood traumas and other traumas, but two specifically that they said were going to kill him. And obviously he's here today. So he's here to share his story, his remarkable story with all of us. Welcome to the show today, David. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for having me on, Danielle. And I'm hopefully we can bring some good value to your audience. Oh, of course we will, because you have a great story to share. That's why I have you here, right? (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we start a little bit with your childhood, unpack that. How did you grow up? A little bit of your history. Yeah, so I grew up as an only child, and my mom and dad were never married. My mom loved me a lot. It just she didn't, you know, she had her own issues and demons she was facing from her past that weren't dealt with. So my first like four years spent a lot of time with my grandma mm-hmm. and the whole time that I was with my grandma, she had cancer. She had cancer for mm-hmm. years. And I remember her saying, you know, I, I let the doctors do all these tests on me. That way, hopefully when you're older, you don't have to suffer the same and other people don't have to suffer the same. So <clears throat> my mom, I had her and then I had my grandmother and, you know, growing up was growing up. But then when I was four, four and a half, uh, two things happened simultaneously. Actually, three things happened simultaneously. We had these family members who were, there was a brutal murder of my great aunt. And it was supposed to be family members who did it. And they were psycho. So this guy would always call me. You remember collect calls? Yeah. (laughs) Um, This dude would collect call me as a kid and I'd like, my mom told me if he calls to hang up, so I'd hang up. So it got to the point. Do you remember when a collect call came through? They let the person speak for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, when they were letting them speak for the guys, like, I'm going to break out of here. I'm going to kill you. So when I was a kid at a very young age, I had three really crazy things. It's one, um, I was being threatened for my life by a guy who was arrested and, and prosecuted at that point and put wow. in jail for the most brutal murder in our town history. Then my grandmother died of cancer and you know she's gone out of my life and i was i spent probably more time with her than anybody else and then my uncle moved to california so he was the only male figure i had 
So it, just those three things. And there was more, but that boom, 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 real fast. Wow. And then as I was growing up, I was always just, you know, lonely and, um, you know, didn't have any brothers or sisters, no other kids in the neighborhood. My mom, like she did her best and did everything she could to be a good mom, but she spent a lot of time by herself and I was just watching TV or playing outside by myself. Um, so then as I got older, the, like I started just, I was angry and I was, um, you know, behind closed doors, life was one way, but what people saw was another and I didn't have any coping skills. And we taught me how to deal with things. You know, and we taught you how to process things. Yeah. And, uh, by the time I was like 14, 15, I, I was always sick. And, uh, one of the things in my childhood is we had like a lot of cats and dogs and I had allergies. So I, I always thought it was just like allergies, but I always felt run down. I didn't eat right. And I was the fat kid. And, um, you know, it was just like, just, that's the life I knew we were very, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't like a luxurious life. So, you know, again, my mom did her best, but it just, that's what it was. Life. There's a lot of people that have it worse or a lot of people that have better. Um, but when I was always getting sick, I kept telling the doctors and they didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they just kept prescribing antibiotics, antibiotics, antibiotics. And oh, wow. even as a kid, I'm like, like, why am I taking all this crap? There's something wrong. So <laughs> in fifth grade, I started getting these killer stomach aches and like really intense pain. And they did a bunch of testing, never found anything. And then as I got older, I was still always sick. And then I started, you know, I was blowing my nose, like to the point where in high school, I carried a roll of toilet paper, not even tissues. And I just blow my nose, blow my nose, blow my nose all day, all day, all day. But whenever I go to the doctors, like nothing's wrong. And some of it tied back to because I was always sick and they knew my, you know, home life wasn't ideal. The doctors thought I was like making it up and they thought maybe my mom was doing some of it for attention for her. And it was just, you know, a sucky situation. But at the end of the day, I stopped going to the doctor when I was 15 because I was like, screw this. They don't do anything. They just shove me with drugs. And in high school, I was getting sick like every week. So it was like having the flu. Like all of a sudden, I just, it felt like I had the flu and I felt terrible and I was exhausted all the time. And it wasn't like I had like, oh, I feel good today. It was always like run down and dragging. So long story short, I get to 18 and I go on a trip. And like, it was like my second time, I think I ever flew in a plane, maybe third. And when I went, you know, your ears block. Mm-hmm. Well, my right ear blocked. And for weeks, I had this like lump in my mouth. And the doctors kept telling me, like, I went to the doctor for that because I was like, oh, there's a lump in my mouth. And the doctor actually said, oh, there's nothing wrong. There's no lump there. I'm like, dude, there's a lump in my mouth. What are you talking about? Are you about? serious? The doctor oh, said, totally what, I, it's like that thing on the wall is not on the wall. It's like, yeah, really? it was. It was rough. And like I said, like looking back, I can see a hundred reasons how or why everything happened. And, you know, as a kid, you don't know how to stand up for yourself and you don't know what you know now. Oh, but, right. Because like, you're a kid, you're just growing up. A yeah. lot of it sounds like because of the trauma that you had with that guy yeah. that did the murder and then calling you. And when you're so young, it, you know, trauma somatizes. Yeah, the trauma. A lot of the, time the, with gastrointestinal, especially with like the stomach aches, it really sounds like a trauma response. Yeah, we had so well, yeah, and there was a lot of stress, and you know, the there was like 
I couldn't tell what was real and what was fake. And because in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm always telling, I'm telling the truth, but how has this happened to me and not other people? And then, and when I was around 14, 15 years old, that's when I was going to this, sorry if I'm all over the board today. Um, <laughs> when I was around 15, I was like, I felt like I was losing my mind. I had mm. what I'd guess looking back would be like panic attacks. Mm. And I felt like the whole world's like moving and lost my reality. And I went upstairs, I woke up my mom and I said, mom, I think I'm losing my mind, but I want to go to church. And she's like, what? And um, there was always this pastor who'd come knocking on our door and we'd jump and hide behind the couch, right? <laughs> and then they, he we'd be playing basketball and he'd always be down in the basketball courts and, you know, he'd always be following up on us and calling us. And it was before cell phones, right? So I'm like, yeah, I think I need to go to that church. So that, that was like a Tuesday night. And then it just happened to be a Wednesday night. She just dropped me off. I'm like telling her I might be losing my mind. She just drops me off. So I go to this church and we were there like years before, like we went for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, mm. but back then it was just show up, go through the motions. I didn't hear anything. Mm. And then now I'm 15 and I feel like I'm losing it. And I remember sitting in the back of the church on the left-hand side, the right-hand side of the preacher. And I'm in the very back row and he's taught, he's preaching on a Wednesday night. And I don't know anything. It's a small church in New England. And he's saying stuff and I'm like, what? So I raised my hand like in school and he didn't say a word. He just answered my questions. And I'm talking like a dozen times with the poor guy's trying to speak. I just raised my hand and he like, how can I help you? And you know, he just answered my questions. I thought it was like school and I didn't know the difference between a hymnal and like the Bible, like how to find stuff. I had no idea. I mean, I was even though, like I said, we went when I was younger, it was just the kid. I didn't pay attention and I was completely disconnected. So after doing this for a couple of weeks, like I went back Sunday, went back Sunday night and I just had questions, questions, questions. And then when I remember after like a Wednesday service, a couple of weeks later, he we're walking. He's like, David, it seems like you have a lot of questions. And he kind of puts his arm around me. I'm like, yeah, he's like. He's like, would you like to be discipled? I'm like, what's that? Yeah, what's and that? <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's when he's like, you just sit down with another man in the church and he's like, they answer your questions. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome because I didn't have a father. I had no men in my life. You know, it was like, so that would be great. I, you know, have somebody answer questions about the Bible. Yeah. So he's like, well, sadly, we don't have enough men in our church that can do it. He's like, but I have a friend a couple towns over that I've already spoken with. And he says, he'd love to meet with you. And he's got a couple daughters around your age. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. So I ended up meeting with this guy, but I didn't know him. So I didn't want to meet alone. So I got my best friends to come over and sure enough, like I'm listening to him and he's talking. And then I wasn't sure, you know, when I was younger, did I ever, I believed in God, but I didn't understand who God was or how things worked or what the Bible says you know, we're all born, we all die. What happens for the rest of eternity? So I went ahead and um, when I was 15, he walked me through what people call the plan of salvation, just like basically how you can know you can be with God for eternity. And I'm like, he's like, do you believe there's a God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is son? Yes. Do you believe that you're a sinner and there's no way you can go to heaven because you're not, you're not holy. 
I'm like, yeah, I know that for sure. And then he, and he's like, well, do you believe that Jesus died and through his blood, you can be saved? That's a sacrifice. I'm like, yeah. He's like, then the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. So that's when I asked God to save me. He did save me, forgave me my sins, and my whole life turned around. Like, seriously, I swore like a truck driver, and within a week, like, I just stopped. My heart changed. Um, you know, obviously, everything doesn't turn magical and, like, it rains $100 bills. But what I'm saying yeah. is in my heart, I still have the same problems, but now I had peace and joy and comfort. And I knew the most important thing is if I died, I'd go to eternity with God and I'd be in peace and joy and love. So literally my whole life changed. People noticed it. I, I just became a different man, that teenager at that point, but different man. And then that's when I was like, okay, if I'm sick, I'm sick. I'm not going to keep going to these doctors and I'm not going to keep humiliating myself. I'm just going to go on with life. <laughs> and I went on. But then when I was 18, I will go back to the story as I jump around. I'm wrestling and I'm trying to be athletic, but I'm still like an unathletic fat kid. I worked out from 15 to 17 every day. And there was zero change that people saw. Like there's nothing visual you could see. But then all of a sudden, like overnight between my junior year and senior year of high school, it all changed. My acne went away. I got contacts. A bunch of the fat turned to muscle. It was like overnight. I was like now physically a different guy. Hmm. So now I'm in my what senior. What caused that? I just got just how my life. No, the acne, I did take like a uh, like an antibiotic because they were I read some research that really acne is a bacteria. So you mm -hmm. take an antibiotic, a different type of antibiotic. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, damn, I've been on so many antibiotics. What the hell is one more? Right. So I, <laughs> I took it and within three weeks it cleared up my acne. Um, but yeah, my body, it just changed. Like, I don't know, my heart changed when I was 15, but when I was 17, 18, my body changed. Mm. And then, so now I'm still between this time, I'm still sick, but I'm, I feel peace and joy. No problems. I'm not really thinking about it. Just like, this is life. This is how it is knew stress was high, knew I was depressed, like sad, you know, like didn't have a great, you know, exciting life, but that was life. Um, and then, like I said, the lump came, I went on the trip, my ear blocked, and then I go to the doctor and now I'm 18 at this point. So my ear is blocked for like three months from January to March. And on wow. March, I turned 18. So now I'm a legal adult. Mm -hmm. I can make my own decisions. <laughs> the problem is at 18 in the old days, you also lost your parents' insurance. <laughs> Remember those days where it's like, okay, you're covered to your 18, then gone, right? And which I don't know if I disagree with because kids were more responsible back then. But um, anyways, so now good news is I'm 18. I can make my own decisions. Bad news is I don't have health insurance, right? Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting on the state insurance. So it was what it's there for. You know, you get on it till you don't need it. Um, I don't think the government should be involved in programs like this and mass scale, like especially not the federal government, but on the state level, the welfare system is made for people who can't afford it so they can get on their feet and get off. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. So I 18, I'm still in high school. I get on this and then I go to the doctors. I'm like, I want you to take out my tonsils and adenoids. They're like, why? I'm like, cause I got sore throats literally two, three times a month. I got a stuffy nose. I feel like trash. And I've had this lump in my mouth and they're like, okay, fine. So they go to schedule me to get my tonsils and adenoids out. 
And then a week before the surgery, back then you physically came in to do a pre-check. Mm -hmm. The nurse was there and she's going through everything. I'm like, yeah, I said, I, I'm still the same, still getting constantly sick, still got that lump in my mouth. She's like, lump in your mouth? She's like, what are you talking about? Um, she looks inside and... I mean, it was a visible lump, Danielle. Like, it wasn't like a small little like pea-sized bump. I mean, it was like the bottom of a baseball. Was it on the roof of your mouth, the side of yeah, your mouth? Yeah, on or? the roof, on the roof of my mouth, mainly on the right side. And um, so my ears blocked. I've been deaf for three months. I got this thing. I'm sick. I'm just like, take this out. So <laughs> wow. she's like, yeah. She's like, I need to get the doctor. And she, he comes in. He's like, when did that chip here? Like, what do you mean when did it appear? I said, look at your notes. I told you about it like six months ago. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like getting really frustrated. And I was always respectful. But by that point, I started thinking like, I am not crazy. These people keep telling me I'm crazy. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like to be blunt, like I was sick all the time because I was legitimately sick. Why they couldn't figure it out, I have no idea. But the other aspects of life is what made them think that I was exaggerating or crazy, which I had nothing to do with. I was nothing but sane and honest and straightforward. So super frustrating, right? Yeah. So now the guy's like, oh, well, we need to do a biopsy. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't care what you do. Just I just want to get better. Yeah, just so make the, it go away. <laughs> yeah. So the guy goes in and does a biopsy in the room and it like butchers me. I remember I had like skin and flaps and all this stuff. Oh. And I'm like, what? And now I, and he's like, oh, it'll heal. Just be some scar tissue. I mean, total jerk. And then they're like, yeah, we should probably get a CAT scan just to make sure it's not next to the incision area for your tonsils and adenoids. I'm like, okay. So they send me down for a CAT scan. <clears throat> and when I'm there, I, I go home afterwards and I'm exhausted. I was always tired, but I was never sleeping and I, I couldn't breathe right. Even like in wrestling, I could like one day run six miles, go to the gym, go to wrestling practice and be throwing guys around. And then an hour later, I couldn't even bench press a hundred pounds. I was just exhausted. It was just this weird, weird thing. My body was just, just off. So now I go, I get this CAT scan. I go back to my house. I'm, I fell asleep on the couch. My best friend was there. And uh, all of a sudden I get a phone call. You know, the phone's on the wall back then. Yeah. <laughs> and I walk over and I'm like, hello. And they're like, hey, is this David Pascal? I'm like, yeah. Like, this is the hospital. And they're like, you need to come in right now. I'm like, what? What's going on? And they actually told me on the phone, they're like, that CAT scan shows you have a tumor and it's inoperable and we need to get an MRI so we can figure out what the best thing to do is. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, my mom's still not home from work yet. I'm like, I'll call you tomorrow. They're like, no, you need to come in now. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like, I had this thing for freaking years. I'm like, I'm actually happy. Thanks. I'll call you tomorrow. Click. And I hung up. And my best friend, who was because my two best friends back then were brothers. And another thing to say is, remember that guy who discipled me when I was mm -hmm. 15? I yeah. told you I'd bring my friends with me. Mm -hmm. So I had twin friends down the road that were brother and sister. They ended up trusting Christ. Then my other two friends that were brothers, they got saved and trusted Christ. So, And I had, I think, another friend that came over. So while I was getting discipled, they come over and they got saved too. So it was awesome. 
But now come back to today, I'm on the phone. I look at my buddy. I'm like, guess what? I'm not crazy. I got a tumor in my head. And I went down, sat. He looked devastated. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is awesome. You if finally live, got an answer. It's yeah, I said, of, I'm not nothing wrong. They're, they found something and you're like, finally. Yeah, finally. I'm you like, see, I'm not what I've crazy. I've been trying to tell you for so long. Exactly. And my thing was, I'm not crazy. If I die, I go with Jesus. If I live, at least there's a reason why I'm suffering. Boom, done. And I sat down on the couch and took an hour nap till my mom got home. And so now it's like eight or nine o'clock and she's flipping out. And I'm like, what are you going to flip out about? Nobody listened to me. I'm like, it's, it's the same as it was two hours ago before I told you. I'm like, nobody just knew. So long now, fast forward. Now we go to the doctors and they get an MRI and there's a tumor the size of an orange in my head with a tail down my throat. You know, things have been there for years growing. And then the guy's like shaking, physically shaking. Because they know this is malpractice. They know this guy could have killed me. Because it turns out the type of tumor I had was a vascular tumor. And the dude's sitting there in his office picking at it, right? Yeah. Dummy. Um, so he looks at me and he's like, he, he was finally honest. He's like, this is way, way more in depth. This isn't normal. He's like, do you mind if I refer you to Mass Ioneer, Mass, <laughs> Mass Ioneer in Boston? It's like one of the greatest places in the world. And I'm like, no. I said, frankly, I don't want you touching me again. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to touch you either. But he was saying it humbly and I was pissed. So I was like, okay. And I was still respectful, but I, I was getting to the point where my, mm -hmm. my confidence is building. So they end up referring me to Mass General Mass Ioneer. And when they did the preliminary like review... Mm -hmm. It was so complex. They gave me Dr. William Montgomery. Mm -hmm. He was the head of Harvard Medical School at that time and the number one ENT at Mass General, Mass, at Mass Ioneer. Wow. So I got kid poor, <laughs> been told nothing's wrong his whole life on welfare. And they sent me to literally the number one surgeon in the world at that time. He wow. did. He was seeing me when he was in his 70s. He'd fly no joke like he'd fly to like the middle east or somewhere in the world do a surgery on a prince or a king and then come back and work on poor kid on welfare i mean just it was amazing how god set it up right wow so he goes in and then they tell you like you know i can go i mean there's so much to this i'm skipping stuff but like i was supposed to have a it's you know first off i was wrestling and doing just recreational box i was doing high school wrestling but recreational boxing and i had a tumor in my head it was like the size of an orange with a tail down my throat that's why i was choking me i don't know if i told you this but i was like having trouble breathing a lot yeah. and they kept telling me i had asthma and the only thing that would make it better is if i went to the freezer and just breathe in cold air and it, what it was is the tumor would swell and was choking me right wow. so this is you were you were a senior in high school then when I found it, I mean, I had it for years and it was just right, growing, right. But when this growing. all took place with Dr. Montgomery, you were a senior in high school. Two so weeks just... before I graduated high school. Wow. And then they're like, you need to come into surgery and do this immediately. I'm like, no, like I want to graduate. If nothing else, like, I didn't accomplish anything in my life. I said, I just want to finish and graduate and graduating high school is a joke. You just freaking show up. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm two weeks away. Let me go mm -hmm. to, let me just finish and walk and, have closure. That part of my life is done. Right. 
So that's what I did. I went to Dr. Montgomery. He's like, this is super complex. I got 50 plus percent chance you're going to die. 90% chance you're going to be like handicapped. Uh, you're, he said 100% you're going to be disfigured. Um, <laughs> they're going down the stats. Like, this isn't a joke. This is a pretty big surgery. They're like, yeah. like, we don't see these often. He's like, frankly, we don't even know. The first time he's like, we don't know what this is yet. Um, he's like, but this is super rare. And he's like, so we're going to go in and we're going to do sur the first day you're going to get embolized. Then you have to lay still for 24 hours and when it's still, I mean, you can't even move your head. It's 100% still wow. because what they do is they go through your, your cr groin area and they embolize the tumor and want that. What does that mean? Yeah, that's exactly embolize the tumor. It means basically they fill it with super glue and plastic. And what they do is they fill it. So it doesn't bleed out when they cut it out because there was a vascular tumor just wrapped in all the veins in my head that they didn't want me to bleed out on the table. Wow. So they had like a blood bank, all this blood waiting for me. And they had literally counselors would walk in my room and be like, Hey, you know, you're going to wake up. Don't look in a mirror. You know, they're going through all this stuff with me. And I'm like, listen, man, this is the best thing that's happened in years. I said, there's a reason why I'm sick. I'm not crazy. And if I die, I hope my mom sues the pants off them. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not, not off Dr. Montgomery or Mass General, but the other doctors from malpractice, right? And um, so I go ahead and I go to the surgery first day, you know, they go and they embolize. And then the second day you're just laying there. And I remember all I wanted to do is take a shower not even eat. So I haven't eaten in a couple of days. All I want to do is take a shower. So finally I get up, I take a shower, didn't have a stroke, didn't die. Good. You know, we're through phase one. So we're good. <laughs> so then the next day comes a surgery and it was like, it was 16 hours or something ridiculous. So there were but, two surgeries in a row? Well, the embolization was just to prepare you for the surgery. Oh, so that so was on Monday, they go in through your groin, they come up and they filled your tumor with plastic and super glue. Like that's a, the you know easy way to describe it. Okay. But if you move at all, one of those flakes could go off and go in your brain or in your arm or you know cause a real issue. So I got through that. Well, now they're like, we got to go in and take out this tumor. And doctor, you know, the normal way is they zip you in half and break your jaw and they take out and it's just a brutal surgery. Oh, well, Dr. oh it sounds painful just hearing about it. Just, yeah, oh. yeah. So oh. Dr. Montgomery, you know, the guy's like, God's giving him a gift. He's like the best in the world. So he's like, this kid's 18. He's got his whole life. You know, I was trying to get a wrestling scholarship and he's like, he's like, let me try something. So in the operating room, he removes my palate. Okay. So he literally just cuts the skin back, flip that layer back. Let's removes the palate, the roof of my mouth. So where you touch the top of your mouth, there's like soft skin and soft bone. Mm -hmm. He just took that bone right out all on the right side. So the whole right side gone. And he said when he did it, the tumor just rolled out. Wow. So then they went in. And they cut, I mean, still, that, you know, there was a huge surgery, but they didn't have to like break me apart. Right. Wow. So they take this out, they stitch me up, they put it back together. And while he's in there, he sees the butcher work that that first jerk did just trying to get a biopsy and he mm. fixes it. 
So if you look in the roof of my mouth, you're like, you can see something's different, but mm -hmm. unless you really look or you know the anatomy, you would never know. Wow. And so to this day, I still have this soft spot. <laughs> it goes right into my sinus cavity. So then they take it out. And I'll tell you what, I was supposed to be in the hospital a minimum of 30 days. I got out in like three days. I was discharged on Saturday. Wow. So Yeah. So God gave me, and then the blood loss I had was ridiculous. It was like less than a nosebleed. It was so freaking God. It was wow. all God. So I go in, I have this major surgery. I'm discharged by Saturday and I feel so good. I felt so good. Blood was flowing normal. I could sleep. I could breathe through my nose, which could I had. Did you hear again in your ear? Oh yeah. Instantly I could hear again. And they put, he, he's such a great doctor. He's passed on now, but I mean, he just, he, he had a team approach to medicine. He wasn't arrogant, even though he was the best in the world, he was humble. So he talked to the different other doctors and, you know, what's the best plan for this kid. So they put a tube in my ear to make sure that it wasn't going to block again on me and I could hear and pressure wouldn't build. And they took every precaution that back wow. then they could think of. And it's even better than what probably doctors could do today. So we go through it and I've never talked about this so extensively. So this is, if you want me to skip stuff, because like I said, I'm in skipping stuff, but if you want me to go faster, I can. Um, but so they go ahead and they do this surgery and then I get out and a week later, now this is stupid, but I was mowing my lawn. I was mowing my lawn with hundreds of stitches in my head because I just <laughs> felt so good. So now well, I you were, off. you were 18, right? Yeah, I was 18. Well, you were 18. I mean, I mean, just think about 18 yeah, but, year olds are like, I can conquer the world. And I mean, chalk that up to your age too. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm saying like, just, I like you have. Oh, cut, you know, you want to keep it. So I'm mowing a lawn and you don't want to be breathing in when you have sinus, everything in my sinuses was all like open and healing and I'm breathing in this stuff. It was very stupid, but God blessed me. Like, let's just say that. So it was foolish pride. I don't know, foolish pride or foolishness. I really was just happy. I wasn't <laughs> trying to be Superman. I was just like, man, I feel so good. I felt better than I had for like 10 years easy. So I go through and then I'm like, oh, cool. So I can go like, let's try to get that wrestling scholarship. So I go to the school in Pennsylvania and I'm down there. And as I'm down there, I just start feeling bad again. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, huh, I start getting tired. So then it goes back because you're conditioned for all those years. Oh, it's in your head. It's mental. You know, you're a hypochondriac. Oh, you're depressed. Da, 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 da. So I'm like, oh, maybe it's just stress of school. Maybe I'm nervous. I'm like doing all these things. So I go back to Boston because I went for like three weeks for the summer for like a, a basically I was a smart kid with bad grades. Like I was so like the like if you want to come to college, you have to prove yourself, take this three week crash course and make sure you can get the grades you need. Well, I was sleeping all the time in high school because freaking I was exhausted. So all I do is just do enough to get by. Right. Mm hmm. Well, now I'm taking this class and thank God I whipped through it. Right. So now I go home and there's just like this short period between summer break and college. And I'm like, you know, I need to go get an MRI. And so I drive into Boston and Dr. Montgomery's in somewhere in the world. I think I actually think it was the Middle East. So I, I want to say he was like doing like doing something on the Saudi Arabian prince or something. I don't know. Somebody like that. I remember it was like a big deal. So his 
you know, the other daughter who to work at Mass General, Mass Ioneer, you're established, right? You're not a <laughs> you're not a hack. So I remember going in there with my girlfriend at the, you know at the time. And when I'm in there, the dude's like, just like the other doctors I grew up with, total shower cap, complete arrogant jerk, belittling me. He's like, dude, you're having um what do they call it? Basically, like your body and your mind is remembering you're sick because you were sick so long. You're fine. Just go on. And I'm like, no, it was like not referral pain, but something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm feeling just like I did before, man. I'm like, I felt great for two, three months. I said, but now I'm feeling like bad again. It's like, you're just ridiculous. He's like, you're just wasting my time. There's other patients that could be in this room and you're, you're just wasting the insurance company's money. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I've heard this all before. I said, order the test, get your kickback for your BMW, your next vacation. And then you can make fun of me if it comes back clear and I'll gladly take the humiliation. And so he's like, fine, I'm going to, he actually said, fine, I'm going to write it just to prove you wrong. So he writes a script, <laughs> get the MRI, go in, photo, <clears throat> I don't know. I think it was about a week later and it wasn't, a week because the results had to come in. It was a week because they waited for Dr. Montgomery. Mm. So Dr. Montgomery gets back to America, calls me in. The doctor who was a jerk to me is behind him looking down. Dr. Montgomery standing there. He's like, how are you? You know, super fine gentleman. He talks to my girlfriend. And I think my best friend might have been there that day. I can't remember for sure. Like Dave and Jose were my best friends. And I think Jose was with us maybe. But um, he says, Dave, he's like, we can have all the PhDs in the world. It's like, but nobody knows your body better than you do. He's like, only God and you know your body. He said, so you were right. He's like, we don't know how. He's like, we don't know if it grew back. He's like, but we can't imagine it growing back that fast and that big or if it was like a barbell effect and we got one side and missed the other he's like but we can't imagine missing it he's like but you have another tumor in the same area the same size almost he's like it's a little smaller but it's almost the same size wow he's like so we have to go in and take it out and i'm like okay I'm like let's do it right so, so did you have to like, do the exact same thing of the embolism and then the exactly. whole thing went through the mouth and <laughs> and now but now it's like even more complicated and even more dangerous because you see when you have a vascular tumor it takes all your veins and corrupts around them and and then when they remove it all those veins are chunked out wow. so now everything's rerouting to new veins and you know they they've removed part of me not just the tumor it's not like it's just hey here's a chunk of play-doh and here's the 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 you know the good stuff right right so you were like 20 together. now or were you were no you i'm like, i'm st still i went 18 i'm still 18 this and is and this, this ended up happening three times right yeah so i went from um i graduated in june when i was 18 then i had the months to recover i got sick again then i was supposed to go to college you're now in september of 95 i'm having another surgery and it's the same thing but now it's way more complex and dangerous so this time they're like, hey, got to be honest with you. Chances of death, pretty high. Chances of like retardation, super high. Chances of disfiguration, 100%. They're like, you know, you just got to, it's not going to be like last time. I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, if I die, 
I'm great. I go see Jesus. If I live, that's awesome too. I said, just do me a favor. I said, I don't want to be a vegetable and I don't want my mom to be like wiping my butt when I'm 40. Not again, for the people who have to do that, I do not want to be insensitive and please forget. Like I'm about to cry thinking about it. The parents who have to take care of their children, that's like serious. And I didn't want to be that kid to my mom. My mom had enough going on in her life. So I was like, dude, just nick me. Like, just take me out. <laughs> Send me home. I'm like, I give you my, you know, nobody's going to know legally. The hospital's not going to know. They're going to hide everything anyways. I'm like, me and God are good with this. Just nick me and send me home. Do not let me live as a vegetable or as some kind of burn to my mom. And he's like, I cannot ever make you that kind of promise. And yeah, like, they can't do that. That's no, that's a violation like, of, the, of their yeah, oath. <laughs> but he's also a man and he knows man. And he just gave me that nod, like, I'll take care of it. And, and I believed it. Like, I knew that he wasn't going to let me go home. I was either going to live or I was going to die. He was an honorable man. Like, I wouldn't let somebody suffer like that. I mean, I'm not going to take somebody's life, but if I knew the surgery went bad, I mean, again, maybe I'm saying this totally wrong. And if I'm defying God, forgive me. But either way, that's what I said. And he gave me that nod of acknowledgement. Like he said out loud what he had to say, but then he looked at me and we were on the same page. I will do what I need to do to take care of you. So I'm like, good. So we go into this other surgery, same exact thing, embolization, set for 24 hours and that's two days and the third day is the surgery wake up from this surgery and there's a banner across my room and you remember those um remember printers in the old days had like the wheels with the spikes on it and it pulled the sides of the printer paper that had like corrugated holes in uh -huh. it and then when you're done you tear off the sides <laughs> of the printer paper <laughs> the nurses like there was a male nurse and the other nurses made this giant banner that said the luckiest boy in Boston. Wow. So when I was out, I didn't do anything. I just laid there. Dr. Montgomery goes in and he's like, same thing. Like this kid's 18 years old. He's got his whole life ahead of him. It's like, let's try to <laughs> let's chisel out his cheekbone. He's like, that'll grow back. <laughs> so they cut my face, lift it up, you know, lift the skin of my face up. So now you just see my bone. And they physically chiseled out a hole in my cheekbone in my face, right? So if like between your nose and your lip. Why didn't like, they go through the same place they did before? Because, it, okay, so the positioning of it was different because, oh, okay. again, they took out, it's in the same region but different positions. So they took out a bunch of veins and so there's nothing there now, but now it went to new ones. Mm. So they they said the best way to go was through my cheekbone. So they chisel out my cheekbone. They go in, and sure enough, they grab it, you know, hours of surgery, but they end up getting it out, sewing me up. And this time, so this surgery was supposed to be worse by all statistics and medical knowledge. This should have been worse. The tumor was almost as big. And it took them less time to take it out. I lost less blood than the first time. And I was perfectly fine. Like, just like sewed me up. And instead of getting discharged on Saturday, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days later, the doctors came in and they're like, all your vitals are fine. You're healing like you've been here for two weeks. They're like, we're dismissing you. So I got discharged a day after a three-day surgery. Oh, that's it's crazy. crazy.
it is, is and it's crazy. all it's all documented i mean like they got copies of it <laughs> so and then it came ahead. back again didn't it yeah how, so how long then, did it take for it to come back again so i don't know on this one okay. i can tell you when they found it because so now i just had two major surgeries yeah. And now I'm like, I'm not going back to college. I'm definitely not wrestling. And they told me, I, you know, you can't take a punch. Like half the right side of your face has structurally been removed. You don't take a punch right now because you get headbutted by accident in wrestling. And, you know, that could cause issues. So I'm like, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to work. But I, I just I felt good afterwards. But that only lasted like three, four weeks. So the first time it lasted like two, three months. This time it only lasted like a month. So I'm like, I'm not feeling good. And they're like, well, just give your body some time to heal. So I'm on like herbs and supplements, like little things, and I'm just getting sick. And then um, I go in and I'm like, you know, doc, I'm just not feeling good. He's like, you know, your body He's like, I can't imagine that thing growing back again. He's like, but let's get an MRI and check. Sure enough, Danielle grew back again. Wow. So now he's like, okay, clearly clearly your body's producing this and they started looking into things and there was one other recorded case of what i had it wasn't as aggressive and it was it was somebody in like north carolina like 15 years prior and um what they ended up doing was radiation so mm -hmm. he's like we're gonna try radiation he's like because if we cut you we're just gonna kill you it's like you don't have anything left to cut out. Like you need some pain. You need some pain. Right? <laughs> so they didn't want to turn you into Scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. They yeah, you wish you had a brain. <laughs> yeah. So and this this wasn't in my brain, but it was in my sinuses and my head mm. and my jaw. It was actually deteriorating the jaw. It was like actually like deteriorating the bone, mm -hmm. and it was so it, it had to come out. So they go in, they do the um. They're like, we're going to do radiation. And then I don't remember the timeline. That's all right. That doesn't uh, matter think... so much as did the radiation do the trick? No, it freaking <laughs> almost killed me. So, uh, so what, what did do the trick? Because then I, this is only one of the two things that tried to kill you because you later you had a different thing. Yeah, yeah. So I had the radiation and it just I dropped down to like 132 pounds. I was in agony and, you know, it's in my head. Um, they missed one time and it fried a part of my brain. And so ever since then, like, I don't feel hunger. Like in 25 years, I haven't felt, I maybe felt hunger like three times, but they fried that part of my brain. And then I'm also physically and mentally slower. So nobody knows, like I look normal, but I used to be much faster. So it frustrates me even to this day. I'm like, oh. Like, I know my body should be moving faster, but I physically just can't move faster. So there's something like that day. And I know they missed because I had a football shaped, uh, like right here on my right shoulder. I had this giant, like five, six inch football shaped um, tan spot. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not supposed to be here. So they're like, yeah, we, we had an accident. So, but other than that, thankfully it didn't fry anything important. Um, so anyway, so it grows back. They almost kill me from the radiation. That was agonizing pain because you got sores and blisters and you know, just all sorts of stuff going down in your throat. You can't swallow. You can't breathe. And then I got hooked up with this holistic doctor who is a chiropractor. And he's like, hey, 
I do contact reflex analysis, I think it was called. We basically just use the energy and your body tells us what you need and what you don't need to heal. And I'm like, okay, I'd rather die righteous than do anything unholy. So I'm like, do you believe in God? It's like, yes. I'm like, have you trusted him as your savior? He's like, yes. I'm like, by what power do you do this? By God or by Satan? I mean, I was blunt. I was blunt. I was like, where do you get the authority to do this? And he's like, no. He's like, this is from God. It's a gift just like anybody else has. He's like, anybody can do it. He's like, I just, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for years. He's like, we just kind of ask your body and read the energy. And we just know what you need and what you don't need. And he's like, that's it. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I ended up getting on all these vitamins and supplements. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy, is he real? Or is he just trying to like exploit me for all the money for these supplements? Which sadly, most of the people will do. Well, sure enough, I started doing follow-up CAT scan. Uh, I'm sorry, MRIs. And the doctors are monitoring it. And the, the doctors are like, do whatever you're doing. Keep doing it. Because the tumor just kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So what I did with that um, doctor, it wasn't just supplements. So I cut out all dairy, all sugar, all preservatives, and got on these supplements that my body needed. It wasn't like one magic supplement. It was like, this is what your body needs. And then over the course, the tumor just shrunk, 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 shrunk. To this day, I guess I technically still have a tumor in my head, but it's like continuously shrinking every year. So I'm 46 and at 47, it's just going to keep shrinking. I had to stay on that very stringent diet for two to three years. Mm -hmm. And when I say no dairy or sugar, I mean, I didn't have bread. I didn't have ketchup, nothing. Mm -hmm. It was just like clean out my body, flush out the trash. And that's what I did. And then I'm, I was super fine. No more problems with that. That oh. chapter's over. Yay. So we've taken up a lot. I don't want to ruin your show or take up too much time, but that was between as a birth and 19. <laughs> that was my yeah. journey. Yeah, but then what was the other thing that tried to kill you? What was it? We don't have to go into great detail about it, but it was later when you were uh, yeah, no, that was around actually around 30. Yeah, I went to a dentist and he did terror, it was just fillings, but he went like gave me fillings I didn't need, left them open. Um, basically I got an infection in there and it calcified and then it just got out of control. It was poisoning me slowly over a couple of years. Again, they couldn't find out what's wrong. But now I had the I had the knowledge and the strength that no, 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 I am not a hypochondriac. And it doesn't matter if they can find it; it's there. So mm -hmm. I had to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and I was in agony, mm -hmm. agony from two thousand, um, from two thousand five to two thousand seven. I was always having like pain in my mm -hmm. face and weird stomach aches. But from 2007 to 2009, I dropped and had a blood infection in my body. Um, they are like, I went to so many doctors. I dropped down to like 140 pounds again. And the doctors are like, dude, just get your affairs in order. Make out your will. You're going to die. And we don't know why. Um, so I had all these blood tests where like one, this was normal, but this was off. And there was like no correlation. They couldn't figure out why. Long story short, I knew everything started when I went to that dentist. So I finally flew out to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and they mm -hmm. have a team approach to medicine. Mm -hmm. I went through everything. Even they didn't like think like this is possible. And then I'm like, well, I just know the timeline. The timeline was it all started with this dentist. 
So <laughs> I went, they clean checked all my systems and they said, this is so strange. They're like, you have this. So that means you should have these three other things, but you don't. <laughs> He's like, then you're healthy here, but then you have these weird issues. So everything was all over the board. Everything's out of sync. Long story short, I had an infection that was right in, he hit a nerve. So I had trigeminal neuralgia. Then I had an infection that was slowly poisoning me. And then from it poisoning me, my gallbladder went bad. And then from my gallbladder going bad, everything else around there starts going wacky. And then I left it in so long, my whole body got out. So I was going like hypoglycemic and then, then what's it called? Diabetic hypoglycemic. It's like everything's just out of whack. Mm. So I went ahead, got the gallbladder out, got the tooth pulled. And when I was, this all started because I was actually at the Mayo, at the head ENT there. And he said, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. He's like, but I'm going to humor you and I'm going to do exploratory surgery. So in his office, there's like three ENTs and the nurse and they're cutting it open. As soon as they go in, because there's a little spot where I told him and there's a little lump. Well, you can feel a popcorn kernel in your mouth that nobody can see. You can feel a hair between your teeth. So I told him, I said, I can understand you can't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. Um, I said, so, and I said, I've been to this rodeo before and I'm not going to, I'm not going to back down. I, there's something wrong and there's something wrong. So he was kind of like miffed and uh, he goes in. And then as soon as they went like, Oh, like, okay, we're in, we have to take care of this. There was active infection and calcification. So they're in there with like a bone, like it's like a scraper and they're like scraping the roof of my mouth, breaking up this calcification to get to the inside uh, infection that was going into my bloodstream and poisoning me. So I went through a surgery awake, no anesthetic, just some Novocaine because they weren't expecting it. And once they're in there, they had to deal with it. And then I went home and I felt better than I had in two years after they just like literally hit me with a hammer and chisel. So, so again, so I just started getting better and better and better. And then, then I was well, so yeah, I've gone through some crazy stuff, but there's a reason, even though I might not still know it for today, I know God's good. I know he's real. He's not vindictive. He doesn't cause harm. If anything we quote unquote call bad happens, it's for his glory and our good. We just got to ride it out. So sometimes it's years like mine were years. It wasn't like a week of pain. It was years, but I'm a better man for it. I'm stronger for it. Hopefully it can help encourage people. And then I know an attorney, I'll be able to chill. No more pain. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, well, you went through so much. It would be so easy for many people to develop a victim mentality. It's like every time I go to the doctor, every time this, every time that. But you did not do that. Was that just because of your faith in God? Was that what gave you the ability to not victimize yourself, but to just fight to get the victory over all this stuff coming against you? Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, I just, I truly believe that like, I mean, I think everybody saying will always try to trick you and get you into a bad place or make you feel, Oh, poor me. So sorry. Um, I struggle with that in other ways, like mm-hmm. in my life, uh, like things that happened in the sense of like other people, you know, uh, relationships, mm-hmm. I'm always questioning, could I have done something better? You know, could I have done something different? But the thing is, when it came to the physical, 
man, there's nothing I could have done. There's nothing I did do to deserve. There's nothing I did to cause it. Um, it wasn't like a communicable disease and I was like crazy and I slept with 80 women and I got this from, it was just, it was just what it was. So I always knew if it happened, there's a reason. And I just, that's it. It's going to work out or I'm going to die and see Jesus. That's, that was my whole philosophy. And I mean, seriously, when you go through surgery, like people, you have to be mentally strong, but all I do is lay there. I'm just laying there. I'm like, I'm going to get one hell of a nap on this anesthesia. Let's do it. And I go to bed. So I guess like, it's really strange. It's like, I get flipped out. If you try to hold me down, I don't like that, but I'll go skydive and jump out of an airplane. It's nothing but fun. So maybe I'm just a weirdo, but for the people listening, like God really does have everything under control and he doesn't do anything to hurt you or harm you. That's all Satan. Like when people say, why did God allow this? I mean, why did God do this? He didn't do it. He might've allowed it. Like you read Job, he allowed Satan to do stuff, but Satan's the scumbag. Satan's the, the terror. Satan's the liar. Satan's the one that causes all the pain and conflict and confusion. He's the author of confusion. So whenever somebody questions God, um, you really just don't have an understanding of who God is. And that's what you should do. You should go to the Bible. You should search for who God really is and just read. Start with John in the New Testament and go from there. But God's good. He loves you. He loves me. And we're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Satan's not behind everything. I don't want to give him too much credit because he's only one fallen angel. And a lot of the evil in the world is because of the choices that people make. <laughs> Well, yeah, but there's, so you're right. Satan is one being who can be in one place at a time. Mm -hmm. But when he fell, a third of the angels fell with him. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between an angel and a decision is their choice to follow God or follow Satan. So there's scumbags all over the world causing pain and causing conflict and influencing people. We have to make our own decisions and we are responsible for our own decisions and actions. But there's millions of demons out there. We don't even know. There could be billions. But there's a ton of evil out there that we don't see. But it's always influencing people and our actions and situations to keep us from believing in God, to keep us from trusting God, to keep us from having joy in the Lord. So. Oh, I'm glad the Holy Spirit is out there also because he draws us to Jesus because we need him. So that's the good side of that. I like to focus on the positive because people can really get bogged down into the negative and feel like there's a devil under every rock and it's just not so god no, is well, for us god is with us and he is drawing us and all he's just a breath away like you said with the choice let me just say god help you know that's one of the purest prayers i think a person can pray from their heart god help <laughs> yeah and well what you said that's something that again that's a that's a huge thing like the bible says greater is he meaning the holy the holy ghost Greater is he that is in you than he, small h, Satan, and demons that are in the world. Mm -hmm. So the Bible says there's more power inside of me of God through the Holy Ghost than there is all evil combined in the world. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't care about Satan. Like Satan can try to attack me. Satan can beat David Pasqualone, but he cannot beat God Almighty. <laughs> so that's why Satan can go screw himself. And in Romans 16, it talks about how in the end we're going to be able to step on his head, you know says we're going to bruise his head with our heel and i am looking forward to that day he's a scumbag what led you to start your podcast remarkable people podcast I just want to help people grow you know 
not everybody has the same situation in life. Um, even though I had a million things happen, you've had a million things happen, things, you know, we haven't touched on in the show. Um, God's always put really strong, remarkable people in my life and not necessarily personal mentors say, but people I could watch and glean from. And the older I got, the more connections I made, the more connections I made, the more connections I made. So it came to the point where it's like, let's just share this. Like the whole purpose of our, the remarkable people podcast is to glorify God and help people grow. So went out, started interviewing people who have remarkable stories. And then we don't just talk about what they overcame or what they achieved, but our show breaks it down to the practical steps of how they did it. So we as listeners can too. So that's the remarkable people podcast. And the whole purpose is just to help people. That's awesome. So what are you, what are your plans going forward? You are a sales consultant, but you do the podcast. You have a book that you have co-authored. What are some things that you got going on that you're thinking about and um, where you're going in the future? Yeah, this year, the marketing, you know, I love sales and marketing and I love helping people. To me, it's like help. I, I won't do that crap marketing where it's just like flash in the pan, short term, get people excited, steal their money. That's not me. Marketing and sales to me is really like just bringing people and solutions together and, and helping them with integrity. So our company, like my company this year, I've kept it super small just because I just did enough for what I needed and moved on, gave work to my friends, gave work to people I trusted. It was just like kept it small. This year and moving forward, I'll be growing the business so we can help more clients. I can employ more people. And then we can just get more done. And then I want to transition out where I'm, you know, I'll help with the initial strategy and oversee to make sure everything's done right. But the daily, um, just the daily projects and actually doing the daily work, I can train people to do that and focus on the bigger picture. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it's hard for me. Um, that's like, it's one of those things that I don't feel like it's pride but I've always worried so much about keeping the level of quality up and getting huge results that I guess it is pride. Like I'm trusting like someone else couldn't do it the same way, but if I'm a good leader, I can train them and they can do it equally as well. And I'll always be there to oversight. Right. Yep. So that's, that's where that's going. And then I want to be able to transition where I can do the podcast more. So just take the podcast, reach a larger audience because that means we're reaching more people. We're helping more people and hopefully more people will come to know God. Awesome. Well, is there anything that you want to make sure that the people know before we sign off for today? Something you want to encourage them or tell them or remind them? Um, professionally and podcasts, anything you need, go to my website, davidpasqualone.com. Everything's there and you can reach out to me to contact me through the page. When it comes to life and just you need to know God, and if you don't have a relationship with him now, if you don't even believe in God, you know, this guy's full of it, that's fine. Just try reading your Bible, try praying and just be real and genuine because God knows everything. So lying to God is useless. Lying to yourself is useless. Lying to other people is really useless, but people do it and they think they're getting away with it. And then once you have that relationship with God, decide what your next step is, what he wants you to do. And then do it and never quit. Just keep moving forward. No matter how much people discourage you, no matter how much they encourage you, 
no matter how much they beat you down, no matter how much they lift you up, if you have a mission from God, keep doing it until it's complete or you die trying. Never quit. Good message. Good message. So how can people connect with you? You mentioned your website. Are you on <laughs> socials also, or is everything through your website? Yeah, no. So I'm a marketing guy. It's like the mechanic that doesn't work on his car. Uh, I'm a marketing guy and that's all I do all day. So I've neglected my social media to the point that I actually, my, I told you I just started hiring employees. They're going to be handling my social media for me. But the best way to get a hold of me realistically is to go to my website, davidpasqualone.com, go to the contact us page and shoot me a message. And then I'll get the email and I'll reply back to you or call you, whatever is appropriate. But yeah, that's the best way. If you shoot me something on Facebook or LinkedIn, I might not see it for a while. So <laughs> just being real. Well, thank you for that. And thank yeah, you I mean, for I'm, we're, good, we're good at what we do, but yeah. when we do it all day, I'm like, I just want to shut it off, you know? That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Thank you for being on my show today. And thank you for sharing your story with my audience, David. Yeah. And I hope, like, hopefully this was in, you know, enjoyable for everybody, but gave you some encouragement and inspiration. And you're, if you're in a similar situation, just know you got to trust God and trust yourself. Doctors can have degrees, they can have PhDs, but you have the master PhD of your body and you, who you are. And you know, um, I believe that most people not only know what's wrong, but they also know what they need to do to heal. So you should have peace when you get a good solution. You know, when right. doctors are saying stuff like, oh, you got this, cut off your arm. It's like, <laughs> no, nah, I don't think that's the right solution. And they do that. You know why? Pharmaceuticals is makes money. And mm -hmm. hospitals, I just talked to the second largest, maybe the largest hospital chain in the United States. I'm friends with one of the high-end physicians who's over thousands of physicians. And they were saying, it's just a business just how many people we can crank in and crank out and keep them dependent on drugs, push them through surgeries and procedures. And, oh, we got to go through the quote unquote process because the process makes them money. So it's not a healthcare system. It's just a medical institution. And Danielle, when me and you were kids, they said, I have a medical practice if you talk to most doctors. Mm -hmm. But now when you talk to most doctors, it's, oh, I'm medical professional. Mm -hmm. Medicine's always has, always has been, always is, and always will be a practice. Uh -huh. I say that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just so you know, if you're going to doctors, I, you know, this is the joke, but it's true. What do you call a doctor that graduates first in his class? I don't know. Doctor. <laughs> what do you call a doctor that graduates last in his class? A doctor. A doctor. So in my personal experience, Two out of 10 doctors are Goldman. Amazing, amazing what they do. Amazing humans. Two out of 10 doctors are complete jerks, scumbags, terrible at what they do, and they don't care. They should be beaten like pinatas. Then you got six out of 10 who just are okay. They're general. They're good at what they do within limits, but nothing outside the box. So my encouragement to you is being your own advocate Keep looking for those two out of 10 stars when you need it. And if you only have like a scratch, don't waste the time of two out of 10 doctor because the people who need it could use that appointment. 
But when you're sick and you're dying and you're in agony and pain, keep finding, keep researching things yourself, keep looking for the root cause, not just a symptom. And again, fight till you win or die trying. Amen. Don't give up. That is nope. a good message. Thank you listeners for being with us today. And I want to remind you, don't give up on yourself. And I love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.